of Ramble by the River. I'm your host, Jeff Nesbitt. Today is Tuesday, February 2nd, 2021, and I want to start this episode with a shout-out to my new nephew. I don't think I'm supposed to say his name because I haven't asked, so I won't, but shout-out to you, little man. Welcome to the world. I just got word just a couple minutes ago that my sister gave birth, and mama and baby are both healthy. So thank you, God. Welcome to the world, little guy. I'm grateful that this new chapter has started in my life where I'm an uncle to yet another small child. I love being an uncle. Being an uncle is a pretty pretty sweet gig. You get, I don't know, you get to be cool, you know? You get to hang out, be funny, make the kids laugh, play, have fun, maybe even, you know, cause a little trouble. But at the end of the day, you don't have to do any discipline. You don't have to... You know, you don't have to do the hard stuff. It's pretty great. I love it. I have been an uncle now for, I think, five years. My my sister, the same one who's squirting out kids today, um, had her first one a couple years ago, or five or so years ago. And it really started a whole new chapter in my life because my siblings, she was the first of my siblings to have kids. So it was basically like, once that happened, we were grown-ups. It was real. And we we all waited to have kids to, well, I mean, not really late. We were all in our 20s, me and my brother and my sister. My youngest sister has not had any kids yet. But it, it just kind of, to me, signified a start of a new era. One where I wasn't a kid anymore. And there's these little people that we brought into the world. And I, I'm not taking credit for my sister's children or anything like that. But, you know, we were always a team, the four of us. And it was us against the world. And, you know, then we started bringing in more by getting married. And then we started making more by fucking and, you know, making babies. It was, uh, I don't know. It was just a, a new feeling to me where I was just kind of grateful for everyone's health and safety, if that makes sense. Where before before my sister had any kids and before I had any kids and the new generation just hadn't started yet, I didn't really have those feelings where just I would get random bolts of gratitude for health and safety. I, I then, and now it happens all the time. I regularly have the conversation with my wife where we just talk about, like, how lucky are we? Like, our kids are healthy and happy. Life is so good. And I think that genuinely has an impact on how we see our own life and on how it continues to improve through time. It's pretty hard to find a person who doesn't have anything good going on in their life. It's impossible, actually. I will even say that. I think it's impossible to find a person who has nothing going for them. Because they're alive. 
you know? You could be nothing, but you are something instead. And you got to start somewhere with gratitude. It's not always easy. In fact, it's almost, well, it gets easier. But when you first start, especially if you're not a person who knows that you're supposed to actively pursue gratitude, if you don't know that and you are just going with the motions and letting your impulses and your gut lead you, you might have a hard time adjusting to this new lifestyle of, of you know, being grateful, even when things are hard. I have to, you know, go out of my way to try to find the benefits of bad situations because otherwise I'll fall into a pit of despair. If I let myself feel sorry for myself, oh, poor Jeff, you're whatever, you know, you're... I, I See, that's the thing. I can't even think of anything right now because I'm so focused on the gratefulness. I'm... I'm I'm focused, you know? I have made a decision to put my attention on things that are good, to put my attention on things that are going to propel me into the next thing that's good. Where you put your attention is where you put your energy. Don't focus your time, don't focus your energy on things that you don't want to happen or things that you don't like about your life. If you have those things, and you do, because we all do, and they are going to pop into your head, Use them. Use them as motivation. Use them as contrast with the good. So, like, for example, I have saggy little love handles on my back. I fucking hate them. I've had them since I was a little kid. I'll be, whether I'm in shape, whether I'm fat, thin, doesn't matter. We got some flab back there. And I really, I've always been self-conscious about it. I hate it. Um... But I'm able to take that and be like, okay, so that's something that I really dislike about my body. But, you know, that lady over there is in a wheelchair. And, oh, hey, that guy over there, he's ugly as fuck. No offense, guy. The fact is, I don't have it so rough. And there's been times in my life when I focused on these, that tiny little imperfection that I've got some extra body fat on my lower back in a spot that I can't even see. And I let that get in my head and I let it mess up. I Honestly, it messed up large portions of my youth because I was insecure. You know, I was the kid swimming with a t-shirt on at the pool. Yeah, ugh, gross, you know? But I don't want anybody seeing my little preteen man titties. No way. I just can't handle that. And now I'm a grown man with grown man man titties and I couldn't give two fucks you know I'm a dad and now it's like accepted I got the dad bod and it's okay and you know what I, I, I got a good dad bod it's a good one I like it it does well for me it carries my uh, carries my soul around this planet really efficiently and effectively and yeah I'm grateful that I have this meat suit even if it's got some extra flab don't mind at all I'll take it keep me warm at night you know? My point is this. Appreciate that shit. Be glad to be here. And it sucks, I know, because sometimes it feels way better to be bitter. And I don't know where that comes from. I don't know where, why we get some kind of a sick satisfaction from being shitty and feeling shitty. Because it's not enjoyable. Why do we, like, why do we hang on to that? When you feel bad, and it, some something has gone the way you didn't want it to go, or your expectations weren't met, or whatever. If something else, so you you're you're in this shit mood, and then something else happens, too something good happens too close to the bad thing. If it's a bad feeling, right? Because you're not ready to be done being pissed off. You're not ready to forgive yet. It, it works in relationships too, when somebody does something that really offends you or makes you feel bad or anything like that. And then you call them out on it or, or maybe you don't. Maybe you're passive aggressive and you just, you know, walk around the house and don't make eye contact with them or you know how people are. But if they apologize right away, like, oh, you know what? I realized what I said was 
was really insensitive and I'm I'm sorry. A lot of times it's really hard to just be like, oh yeah, oh uh, yeah, totally. I I, you know, I was offended by I I was pissed, but now I'm not because it's hard to do that because you wanted that's not how the story goes, you know, in your head. You want that story to play out the way you see it, and that's stupid. Let it let it go, let it go. Move on. Pick the choice that's going to lead to the best result. Don't pick the choice that's going to feel the best in the next few moments. That almost never will lead to the best result. My family's gotten into the habit of doing a gratitude list. And I think I've talked about that on the podcast before. So every day we have a group text that we all send around the family. And each one of us gives three things. And the kids do it. I do it. Melissa does it. We all do it. And it's really fun. And I think what it actually really does is to get your head right. It forces you into that headspace of gratitude, which is a really healthy place to be because you don't, you're not approaching the world from a position of, of loss or a position of deficit. You're approaching your own life from a position of abundance. You're acknowledging that you have things that you need. Your needs are being met. You're acknowledging that your life is okay, at least in these three ways, every single day. And just doing that on a regular basis kind of builds this foundation of mental health and in a way that a lot of people are probably missing. Uh, so I, I, it's something I really love, and I hope that I can share it with you guys. And I hope that you guys can do it too and you know start really making it part of your routine. So I think what I'm going to do is I'm going to start posting a gratitude list on social media so I'm gonna I'll go on Twitter I'll say today I'm grateful for you know trees clean water and I don't know Joe Biden I I don't know what you're into but yeah and then people can respond with comments and they can do their own or they can do their own on their Twitter Instagram Facebook whatever and tag me tag ramble by the roof why do I keep saying that? Ugh, silly Jeff. Anyway, tag at Ramble River Pod. That's the name. At Ramble River Pod on Twitter. And then for Instagram, it's at Ramble by the River. So, yeah, today I am grateful for this studio because. It's really been bringing me a lot of joy, and I really can't express enough how much joy this podcast has brought me because it has reconnected me with friends, which is what I really wanted to talk about today was just the power of friends and the power of relationships and what they can do for your life and what they can do, period. I'm sure most of you have already heard about this GameStop stock market thing which is pretty crazy. If you haven't heard, I will give you a quick rundown to the best of my understanding. So I will start out by saying I, I wasn't involved with this. I, I do not own any GameStop or GameStop stock. Um, I don't own any AMC. I don't own any of these stocks that are involved in this. I don't even know what you call it. it fiasco. It's a fiasco. Uh, but basically what's happened is... I don't even know where I should actually begin, but regular people are supposed to have access just like hedge funds and bankers and people involved in the financial industry. They're supposed to have the same ability to purchase these stocks if they've got the money, right? So so what happened last week is that on this website called Reddit, which is basically a forum or it's like a place where people can get together and talk about shared ideas and they can share ideas, talk about stuff. And it's, I don't know, it's got a very big culture around it of people who are kind of subversive and hackers and that, that kind of world. They all really like Reddit. And so there's a subgroup on Reddit and that group is like millions of people, and they got they got organized 
to some extent and said, hey, let's take this stock, which at the time was trading around like under $5 a share for obvious reasons. People aren't shopping at GameStop anymore. People are not going to the mall to buy games. Everyone downloads their video games. And it's just not a lucrative business at this point. So it was like common sense that that would be something that would get shorted. Let's say you own GameStop stock. Let's say you own 10,000 share, 10, shares. And the stock's currently trading at $5 a share. If you have a pretty good suspicion that it's going to drop and it's going to go down, then what you can do is sell that stock, let it go down, and also by selling that stock, you're encouraging the price to drop. And so the price starts to drop, and then right before it hits the bottom, you swoop back in and, re and rebuy those shares at a much lower price. You just made a bunch of profit, and you still own the same amount of stock. That's called a short. Hedge funds do this all the time. That's, that's how they make a lot of their money. They're looking for opportunities to short stocks. It's common practice. So a lot of people don't like short sellers, myself included. I, I, I like the bulls. I, I want a bull market. I want stocks to grow. So these guys on Reddit got an idea that, let's see, we, we know that this GameStop stock is about to be shorted because... Actually, I don't know how they knew that. It's maybe just because it's common sense. But they said, well, what if we just, instead of letting these hedge funds short the stock, what if we just buy a whole bunch of it as they're trying to sell it and dump it and drive the price down? Why don't we just buy a bunch of it and drive the price back up and make a bunch of money? That's called a short squeeze. And so that's what they did. And there's millions of people on this feed, on this subreddit. So they were able to be like, hey, you know, up upvote this post if you're going to go buy some GameStop stock. And so they basically organized and formed this little co little is not the right word, and formed this massive coalition of purchasers. And then they went in and started buying this stock, which is not valuable because the the company's not doing well. So in the last in in the last 2 weeks, the stock went from under under $5 a share to over $300 a share which is huge Un, like unprecedented growth for a company that is about to go out of business and a lot of people made a lot of money but it was not the hedge funds so it caused this big ripple effect through the financial sector where these exchange platforms like Robinhood and I think Fidelity was another one they restricted the ability to purchase GameStop Stock. Oh, I'm having a hard time saying GameStop stock. Stop saying GameStop stock. Whew. Tricky. A tongue twister. Anyway, um, these platforms said, uh, sorry, Reddit guys. We don't want you to buy this anymore because you're fucking everything up. You're messing up the market. And, you know, to some extent, I understand that. I really do because I want the market to work. And it, it's flimsy. You know, it's built on, you know, hope and dreams. The stock market is really not, I don't know, it's like magic. It's not one person who designed it or knows even how it all works. It's all just like this massive mix of people, all with different competing interests, and somehow it balances out to form this really kind of beautiful system where people can store value and, you know, extract value. It's cool. But it needs to work. And so part of that is that people have to have the ability to make profit. And it's, it's almost like there's this gambling aspect of the, of the stock market that allows you to take risk. And the more risk you take, the bigger the potential rewards. Part of that is if you invest your hard-earned cash into a company that you know is tanking, you kind of deserve a big payoff if it actually works out, you know? You took huge risk, and it worked. So you deserve to get paid, is my opinion. I think, I, again, I'm not an expert on the stock market. So this is all just to the very best of my ability to explain. I'm trying to just work through it as, as I go. But anyway, these guys basically scammed 
not even scammed. They used, they followed the rules. They played by the rules, and they beat the market. It just kind of sucks because they didn't let them. They they stopped it. The man crushed it, and he said, "No, no more buying. I'm only letting you sell." So Robinhood, the trading app, sent out an email to all of their people who all, all the people who own stocks through their platform that said, "Hey, look, we're not going to sell any more GameStop stock right now because it's going too high, and we have to have certain deposits in place to be able to support." All of this money that's changing hands. And then people freaked out because they're like, that's market manipulation. Your hedge fund buddies probably made you do that. And honestly, I really don't think that's what it was. I think that Robinhood was trying to cover their own ass and we're dealing with something that's never happened before. It's pretty recent that people like me are able to trade on the stock market. Because before just a few years ago, there just weren't that many avenues to do that. You had to go, you know, set up a meeting with a stock broker and you had to come up with enough money to, you know, buy whole shares of stocks, which could be thousands of dollars. So a lot of regular people were not involved in that. That, uh, However, they do have money invested through 401ks uh, for retirement. So I guess indirectly, a lot of regular people are invested in the stock market. But directly, as far as like, I see this stock and I want to buy it. So I give the money. It was not really done by normal people until just a couple years ago when Robinhood started selling stocks at fractional shares. So now I can just go in and, you know, you can buy stocks with as little as a dollar, which is awesome because it opens it up to a whole new class of investors. And they're calling those retail investors, which makes sense because mar- uh, there's a markup um, on the cost of the stocks and there's fees. And there's all kinds of reasons why Robinhood still makes money too. And the Cash App is another one. So I think the really significant part of all that GameStop stuff is the fact that that was just organized by regular people over the internet. Just people who talked to their friends and said, hey, you want to make some money? Another thing that happened very recently was that a bunch of fucking nutcases stormed the Capitol. Sorry, no offense, nutcases, but what were you thinking? I think the internet has changed how we have friends, how we handle ourselves in relationships. People didn't used to have 10,000 friends, 10,000 people who, you know, hear your opinions, 10,000 people who look at your face and, and know who you are. That's unusual if you look at all of human history. And it's probably got some pretty strange psychological effects. Another reason gratitude is so helpful is because we're constantly taking inventory of who we are. We're looking at whatever's around us and who's around us and what they think of us and all these variables and we're kind of smashing that all together to build a representation of the self, of who we are in our mind. And when you focus on gratitude, it automatically puts your attention on the good parts of your life. And that just sets you on a path to to see things more clearly. And I don't even, it's maybe not more clearly. That's what's cool about being a human. You can focus on the negative parts of your life, or you could focus on the positive parts of your life, And you could be right both times, but you have drastically different views of what your life is. They could both be right. We get to essentially build the reality we want to live in. And by believing in it and by seeing it through and by actually being it, feel it, and know that it's true, you are shaping who you will become. You're shaping what possibilities are going to be allowed in your future. It's a pretty cool power. It's a pretty cool ability to do that and to ignore that and just to live passively and let things happen to you and be victimized all the time is a waste of a fucking life. I don't want to live like that. I know you don't want to live like that. It's not fun and it's hard. It's way harder. 
way harder. Staying positive is is pretty. I mean, once you get the hang of it, pretty easy. Because there's really good stuff everywhere. You just have to look. Just like there's bad stuff everywhere. When you decide you want to be in a bad mood, you can find something to be pissed off about. And it's the same for good moods. When you're in a good mood and you're feeling blessed and close to the universe, close to God, close to your family, it's like you can find beauty in anything. Some days I really hate the rain. Can't stand it. Makes me angry. And other days I'm like, oh, this rain is beautiful. It's so cleansing and refreshing. You know, negatively charged ions are pulling the stink out of the air. That's real. Look it up. It's just, you know, it's all about perspective. You can just shift your whole perspective and feel a lot better about where you are just with a quick little gratitude exercise. Little goes a long way. You know, just a dabble, do ya? I got a letter in the mail yesterday. It was from a guy I knew, I know, a guy I know from growing up. He was actually one of my very first school friends. His name's Matt. And Matt's a really smart guy. He's always been one of the smartest people I know. And when we were growing up, I always like looked up to his intelligence even if it was with kind of a a tinge of jealousy or envy i i always liked to feel like the smartest one in the room and matt would challenge that matt was the kind of guy who was like almost in your face about his intel not even about his intelligence but just about his knowledge he was never shy about just telling you what he knew which is cool I like that in a person. Uh, It did threaten me as a young person because there was I wasn't like that always. There were times when I would hold back because I didn't want to appear pompous or you know full of myself or or arrogant or any any of those things. I just didn't want to seem like I'm trying to tell everyone else what it is, you know, even if I knew. I just, I don't know why, actually. And Matt was not afraid of that. And I think maybe I'm realizing it as I'm saying it that I might have, you know, disliked that in myself. And I, or I felt like I was jealous that he was allowed to do that and I wasn't. And I, cause I really wanted to. <laughs> but anyway, I got this letter. It's handwritten and it just talks about how. Matt has found the podcast and he liked it and he was just very kind and it, it really touched my heart like that this podcast has created a, an unexpected effect of bringing people back to my life people who I haven't spoken to in years and who I love all of a sudden they're hitting me up on Facebook or you know sliding into my DMs trying to get a hold of me and just to see what's up say hey and that they caught the show It's a really good feeling. I can't get over it, how much I was starved for friendship, and I didn't really even realize it. I think a lot of what people consider independent personality types, uh, a lot of the time are people who are afraid of rejection. And so you get a thick skin, and eventually you stop, you know, putting yourself out there. It's hard to be rejected or, like, I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I think that a lot of my life, I needed friends, and I didn't pursue them, or I let them go, because they were threatening my autonomy. And so, because of that effect, I've I've gone a long time without really having very many friends. I have just a couple close friends, and you know that's it's fine, but. To have more than, I mean, just to have anybody talking to me and just like, man, I'm making myself sound like such a loser, but I'm not, whatever. (laughs) I don't even care. To have people texting me and saying nice things is unusual and it feels good. And I can admit that. I don't know why that's making me feel uncomfortable, but I like it. Um, And I want more of it. So, If you're listening to this right now and you and me have lost touch, 
but at one point you and I were really close, hit me up. Say hey, reach out. I'd love to hear from you. Unless unless you're an ex-girlfriend, then you know, go move on with your life. Get <laughs> go go do something else. Um, everyone else though, I would like to start a new segment starting next week called Suggestion Box. And it is pretty basic as it sounds. I would like the listeners to write in, tell me what you like, what you don't like about this show. Parts that are good, parts that are bad, you know. Guests that you've loved, guests that you hated, all of it. And I will incorporate your suggestions into the show. Also, I'll I'll read them. Uh if if you would like, I'll read them on air and we can and we can keep an open communication between myself as the host and you as the listeners. I think that's going to be really cool to have more of an interactive vibe. What do you guys want to talk about? What do you want to hear about? That's that's important to me. I know what I'm into. You know, Bitcoin and titties. Just kidding. I mean, not at all kidding. I love both those things. But what I, I wouldn't classify, I wouldn't, you know, say those are what I'm about. I'm about many, many things. A renaissance man, if you will. You know, it's, I'm thinking about it. It's, it's one thing to cultivate gratitude. And I think that's what I've talked about mostly so far in this episode is like active cultivation of gratitude where you're, you're thinking about it and you're using top down processing to try to create the sensation of gratitude by having the thought, you know, make the feeling. But for anyone who's ex- ever experienced that gratitude you feel right after you survive a natural disaster or an unnatural disaster, like any kind of catastrophe, like surviving any kind of catastrophe, or if you're really close to getting in big trouble, I, I've had it myself a couple times when I got away with making a bad decision and almost getting busted. But it's just a different feeling. It's all-encompassing. Like, that sense of gratitude where you're just thanking God, or even if you don't believe in God, you're going to thank God because you're just like, I I survived. Uh, like, a bad car accident will give it to you. Um, surviving, a, I mean, getting over a bad illness where, like, food poisoning even. I've had it after being so sick that I just wished I was dead that I when it was finally over I was just so grateful that's a really powerful feeling it's really easy to forgive the problems of your life when you feel grateful that's why it's so important to seek out struggle if your life is cushy enough to where you don't just have it shoved in your face on a daily basis go find some because it makes you feel really grateful And that is a good place to be. I think, if I'm being totally honest, the most grateful I can ever remember feeling in my entire life was when I was rebuilding reality (laughs) following a high-dose mushroom trip when I was 17 years old. Maybe 16, actually. 16 years old. Which is too young to be using psilocybin mushrooms I will say that for the record I think it was a bad choice I do not recommend anyone out there do this Um, if you're a legal adult and you can you know procure them in a legal way I think there's some studies that are allowing you to do that I think there's a lot of promising research with psilocybin and a lot of different mental illnesses Uh, but as far as recreational use with kids teenagers included, I think that's a big problem. Big no-no. Your brain's not done developing, and it's just really risky. That being said, I did do it, and it did kind of create a transformative experience in my life. I want to say it was for the better, because I really, I don't really have any other option, do I? Because that's the reality that I am stuck with. So I'm going to look at the bright side. I'm going to look at the positive interpretation. So, yeah, I really think it kind of 
built up some of the foundation of who I am today. So I'll just start from the beginning. So we, we grew up in a place where they're readily available at a certain time of year, these mushrooms. <clears throat> they're called Psilocybe azarescens. And, you know, they were first identified, I believe, by Paul Stamets. Uh, ever, uh, it wasn't that long ago, maybe 20 years ago. And since they have become very popular because of their potency, highly potent strain of psilocybe. Anyway, uh, we'd been doing research, me and a group of friends, and had decided to try them, go, you know, do a mushroom experience. So we, we just picked them, and a few of my friends had been doing them for a while already, like a month or something. So they had done it already, and I trusted them to dose me. I really didn't know how to judge what would be an appropriate amount. So I just let them give them to me. And they gave me too much. They probably, I mean, I don't know. I feel like we talked about it. There's just, at that age, that's one of the reasons that you shouldn't do it as a teenager. And just wait till you're an adult. Um, but it's because it's dangerous. If you do too much, it's not going to kill you. But you're in for quite a ride. So I ingested the mushrooms at around, I'd say, 5 or 6 p.m., I want to guess, yeah. And <clears throat> within an hour, I started noticing some pretty intense visuals. I got the warm feeling, started being all giggly, and I was listening to Built to Spill, which was one of my favorite bands at the time. They're really good, but their music took on an, a whole new level of meaning that night and the walls were moving with the music I was in a place that me and my friends referred to affectionately as the crack shack and the walls were all covered with sharpie writing um, just from people who had drawn pictures and hanging out and signatures and you know how teenagers will write on walls and all of that's just started pulsing with the music and at the end there of, of a song I don't I remember there's so the way I'm telling this is is in flashes because I just re kind of remember flashes, but um, I'm gonna do the best I can. the The music was really intense, and the, all, at the end of a song, there was a big cymbal crash, and when the cymbal crashed and then like trickled out, all of the colors just started bleeding down the walls, and I was like, okay, so they're they're kicking in. And then I looked up at the ceiling, and it was just covered with all these spiders, and they were just like. But they, I, I'm afraid of spiders, and they weren't scary. They were like multicolored spiders. It was uh, just beautiful, honestly. And they were all like coming down on webs and crawling around, and it was really neat. Uh, and that's the end of that flash. I don't remember what happened in between this and the next thing, but the next memory I have, I was in the house. Uh, the crack shack was just like off the back porch. It was like a little extra shed. And then I'm so I moved into the house uh, at some point, and I, I remember being just really enjoying myself, uh, seeing lots of cool stuff, feeling lots of cool feelings, and the something that stands out to me is the level of connectedness that you feel. I just knew that I was part of everything, and everything was part of me, and there really was no more separation, and that separation just kind of slowly disintegrated over the next couple hours. And before I knew it, um, I had, you know, completely lost touch with my body. And I was just kind of in the abyss. It start, you, The grasp on reality starts to get so tenuous because you kind of lose track of your, what you, what you, 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 you understand that what you're seeing is not actually what is there normally. And it's probably not what everyone else around you is seeing. And that kind of detaches you from base reality. It's, it's a very bizarre feeling. But on top of that, you, your consciousness is traveling back and forth between these realms where sometimes it's almost like dream dreams. So, and, and sometimes it is. Like I, I specifically remember feeling like I had been in a lot of these realms before. 
even though this was the first time I'd ever had any kind of a psychedelic experience. But I recognized the, the figures and I recognized the feelings. And it's hard to explain in words because it's, it's, not, it's just not an easy thing to explain in words. But there's feelings that are tied to it and they're somehow tied to memories. Because I would get these feelings like, almost like if a, if a feeling created like a, an energy signature, you remember that energy signature. And so I would like pop into these places where I was like, oh shit, I remember this from like being a very small child or even a baby or something. Somewhere there's like a triggered memory cue based on these feelings and who knows if that is actually tied to some kind of a memory of a feeling I had as as a small child or if it's actually just like whatever, you know, biochemical combination of neurotransmitters that are required to create that feeling of, you know, nostalgia or that feeling of, oh, I recognize this, the, re- the feeling of recognition. Whatever chemical, con- uh, chemical concoction of the mind creates that feeling. What if that was what was actually just splashed into my synapse? And so it's giving me the illusion that I had remembered this or as as if it was something that had happened before when really it was something novel and new. I don't know. Who knows? But um, I don't even know if that matters because the feeling and the experience of it is the same either way. So, yeah, I was out in space. Basically, I went from... The, this physical world to one that was just outside of it where I could still it was overlapping I could still see into this world um, but it was just a lot more colors and time was a little bit warped and sound was warped and I pissed myself and um, there was lots of colors and um, oh yeah let's I guess I could go back to that so I pissed myself and I you know, I just, I can't really, I'm, I'm not going to try to make excuses for that one. It's, it is what it is. Um, I, all, I actually have a flash of, of the moment it happened because, um, I remember the research I did leading up to it was everything was just go with whatever you feel, go with whatever you feel. And, um, I didn't know what was real and what wasn't real. And so it's like, if you see a staircase, go, go up the staircase. If you see a door, go through it. If you feel like you got a piss, take a piss, you know? <laughs> and I, I thought it was part of the trip. And so I had to pee and it, uh, I was, you know, tripping balls at the time. So, um, it's, it's really hard to pinpoint exactly what happened, but I do remember standing in the center of the room as it happened and then just feeling wet and being like, oh, yeah, no, I, I'm pissing myself in real life, for sure. <laughs> oh, God. I can't believe I'm telling this story. Anyway, um, the girl I was seeing at the time, bless her heart, changed me. She said, and I quote, because I will never forget it, it was so embarrassing. She said, it was okay. Um, I wasn't mad at you, but it was like I was taking care of a big retarded baby. And uh, it was a different time. Those I w- I'm sure she would never use those words now. And you know, yeah, if I'm being honest, it was offensive then. I, I was I was hurt by it. Um, <laughs> not really. I had a pretty good sense of humor about the whole thing. Everybody made fun of me for it a lot. It was high school. <clears throat> anyway, so I went from the this this level where I'm still in contact with the people around me and aware of my body to this next level where I'm not quite aware of my body, but I'm still aware of my identity. My ego was still intact. From there, it elevated to yet another level where I no longer had contact with my identity. I couldn't remember who I was. I still had some vague idea that I was on some kind of drug and that I was a human, but I didn't know my name, didn't know anything about my life, nothing. It was almost like I was I had my hard drive swiped, just wiped clean. And that was was kind of scary and 
but at the same time not scary because I think you need an ego to be afraid. It was it was kind of uh, almost freeing, but at the same time, yeah, hard like hard to. It's I'm having a hard time explaining it still, but it's a pretty weird feeling. Um, and at this, so at the same time, I'm just trying to explain the level of like where my identity and my myself was through all this. But my perceiving self also is like all this is a uh, is. I'm in a state of everything, like color, all the colors, all the sounds, all the people, all the voice, like there's voices everywhere and music and fire and ice and, you know, like wind and color and everything. If you can just think of everything, infinite everything all at once, that's where I was. Um, so I'm just being like bombarded with all this world of possibility. <clears throat> it was weird. And beautiful and also that's where also a lot of the scary stuff happens because you know in the world of possibility there's a lot of scary things and from there it progressed to uh from there it progressed to this what i call the abyss where it was just empty blank nothingness just black nothingness like space but without stars and no voices, no me, no anything, just void. And that is when it became truly terrifying because I realized just the fucking tightrope that we are walking as existing creatures. When I was in that void, that was like all there was. So there, it, ah, it's, if you've if you've been there, you get what I'm saying. I hope, but it was just nothing, and it's not a place that is very fun to be. So from there, slowly, incrementally, I I backed out through those same levels and I eventually like kind of got more concept concepts back like colors started coming back sounds started coming back then more you know defining like names and people and places and then specific ego stuff about me Jeff started coming back and like I actually remember sitting there with my buddy Ross and he was quizzing me on on concepts like as I'm coming back to reality I remember him asking me if I knew what football was and that was like the first thing I was said yes to because I remembered he said something that triggered because I he like he was saying do you know what a doorknob is and I would like scan and be like nah fuck I no what I don't know that one um do you know who Jeff Nesbitt is no I didn't know shit it was uh really really crazy and keep in mind, this is 2005 or six, somewhere in there. And all this stuff is still completely underground and there's very little research. So I was afraid. Uh, you're supposed to manage your set and setting to make sure you have a good experience. And I didn't, I didn't do that at all. Either one. I, I, my mindset was a place of curiosity balanced in fear. And that's not a good place to be with without really having the appropriate resources to remedy that, to make it a better mindset. And then my setting was a place where I was with people who I trusted and I knew weren't going to cause me physical harm, but they were definitely going to fuck with me. And they did. <laughs> and it, I don't hold that against them at all. We were kids and I don't think they really had any concept of what was going on in the room. They were probably on mushrooms as well, but don't do that to people. If you ever have an opportunity to mess with somebody who's tripping, don't do it. It's not nice, and it, it's not helpful, and it's, it's, I don't know, just don't. Yeah, and yeah, anyway, so I didn't manage those two things, which are crucial to a good experience, and so I had a lot of fear, and dealing with that fear throughout the entire thing is really what made it 
unpleasant. And when I finally started coming back to reality and realizing like, oh, shoot, you're a human. Like, oh, dang, you're a guy. Oh, my gosh, you have a name and it's Jeff. I have never felt so grateful to be alive. And never have I felt so grateful to feel something, anything, even pain. I get to feel something. I get to be a conscious being operating in reality, in real time, in linear time, where things make sense, where causes, you know, come before effects and things are not just chaotic and messy. And it's the ultimate sense of gratitude. That's really the only way I can describe it. I've never been so grateful since for any other, like that was the most grateful I had ever been in my life. And really it it shaped who I became after from that point on. And I've really known the truth of existence is that there's a lot more than we can see and touch and taste and hear. There's a lot more. And the fact is it could have been nothing. We are something and there could have been nothing. And I, I, I'm going to probably say that a lot because it's a major idea to me. And it's something that everyone knows. It's very much common sense, but nobody really stops and thinks about what that means. Like, think of how many things are nothing right now. Infinite. Infinite number of things don't exist, right? And it's hard to conceptualize that because we do exist and everything we see in, around us exists. But that's just such a tiny fraction of all the possibility. Does that make sense? I'm, I'm just trying to express a crazy thought to sane people. But it's tricky. Watching yourself fall apart and disappear and then rebuild from scratch and all over the course of like eight hours, which is way too long, by the way. Oh, my gosh. That was rough. I also puked all over uh, all over my friend Colton. <laughs> oh, he was a guest on the show last week. Friend of the show, Colton Chalker. Shout out, Colton Chalker. <clears throat> he was also on his own journey that night, and that's his story to tell. I hope you guys are well. Thank you so much for listening. I'm really, really grateful that you're here, and I, I hope you keep coming back. This has been fun for me. I really, I'm, I just can't express how grateful I am. I love you guys. Thanks. Bye. It's my time to Say yeah. yeah. If you're on a train, say yeah.